Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, we're going to talk about resourcing the revolution here at The Rogue Scholar today. This is one of those subjects that you hear MMTers talk about all the time. In fact, back when Stephanie Kelton was talking about uh, AOC's initial attempt at MMT, the question became not how do you pay for it, but the question became how do you resource it? And I don't think anybody really talks about how you resource bills, how you resource uh, any initiative that you want to do. And, and one of the most important aspects about this is to understand that in order to resource something, you must plan. And how many of us hate to plan? How many of us get all, you know, this is boring, don't want to plan. I, don't wanna, I just want to do something, man. I just want to run to the finish line and do, do, do. But planning is key. One of the problems with planning, especially when you're talking about federal kind of uh, initiatives, is the fact that central planning has kind of gotten a black eye. You know, everybody's got the red scare in them still. Everybody's thinking back to, you know, Russia, and you see what's happening now with Russian Ukraine. This is not a podcast or a video on Russian Ukraine, so let me be crystal clear there. But the idea here is, is that when we talk about real resources and we talk about how that flies, it always comes back to just winging it and writing a bill. And then when it doesn't work, when inflation hits because the supply chains weren't there to support whatever you were doing, um, or let's say there's long lines, long lines for medical care, right? You hear that all the time. What are they going to do when they ration care? Oh my God. A lot of that comes down to a lack of planning, lack of resource utilization. And I should say not a lack of utilization, overutilization of resources that we haven't really carved out for an initiative. Now, before I jump into the legal end and some of the more fun stuff that I'm sure people considering, you know, sustainability and things like that are going to be interested in, I want to start off by saying, I'm a project manager by trade. This is kind of my shtick, man. Every project that I'm brought into, I have to understand who my resources are, who my people are, what my team is, uh, what available funds we have to purchase whatever we need to purchase. I need to understand the availability of all the things that touch the project that I'm dealing with. And sometimes they're not even just the direct things I have control over. Sometimes there are things I have no control over or minimal control over. And I have to be able to plan contingencies for these sorts of things. Go back in particular to the 70s. We talk about the OPEC scare and we talk about how Saudi Arabia uh, was able to play games with us and raise the price of everything through making petroleum products scarce. 
Well, what did that do? That jacked the resources through the roof. But anybody that knew that we were this dependent on oil, anyone that knew that we were this dependent on oil, and everyone knew that we were this dependent on oil, should have had an alternative, should have had some sort of uh, backup plan, if you will, some forethought into various things. And when you become so dependent on a one-way ticket for importing things, when your whole entire existence is based on the ability to access cheap stuff, cheap labor, cheap goods and services from around the world, it's easy to forget that what happens if that supply chain breaks down? What if you didn't have a plan in place to resource it? And you look at any project that you might do, you've got to have all those resources accounted for before you go, or you will run into risks that will become issues. And those issues can make whatever you're trying to implement fail, fail outright. So let's, let's dive in now for a moment to some of the other ones. We, we always talk about, there's never a question of whether or not we have the money in the U S or really any currency issuing nation. There's never an issue of whether they have the money. Of course, they have the money they created out of thin air. Just we, we, someday we have to get past that, right? We have to get to a point where that's just the, we know this to be true. We don't have to come up with a bunch of screwy this, that, and the other angles for how we're going to pay for it. It's just straightforward. We don't even have to sweat that. We should know that by now. So, but for the purposes of this video, we're going to pretend like all of you are MMTers already. You already understand that the money is there. All that Congress has to do is appropriate it, et cetera. So with that in mind, if we're going to go ahead and look at something like Medicare for all, I want to be crystal clear. One of the major objections that you hear conservatives raise about something like uh, government-run healthcare, as they would say, they try and put a nasty spin, try to twist the the para, you know propaganda around to make it out to be government-run, right? Because they're playing on your trope about the red scare and how you hate government and government can't do anything right. It's feckless. It's never big enough. Can't do it, but it's too big. But it's we want to make it smaller so that it can really always fail. You know all these crazy back and forths. Let's just assume that everybody's not crazy as the the day is long. And that we're actually interested in making these bills pass, right? You got to make sure that you have enough doctors. You got to make sure you have enough nurses. You got to make sure you have enough phlebotomists to handle blood samples. You got to have, you know, all the x-ray techs and uh, breathing specialists, and respiratory therapists, whatever, right? All the different aspects that make up healthcare. You got to have the equipment. You have to have the surgical centers. You have to have the general practitioners. You have to have access to clinics for routine maintenance. All these things have to be in place, right? If they're not in place, what might happen if you were to pass a Medicare for all bill like that without prepping for those real professional level caretaking resources? you might run into bottlenecks. You might run into delays in care and you might run into some form of rationing as a direct result of not being able to have enough of those in, in practice, right? Well, we know that the business community has a couple goals. Number one is to maximize profit at all costs. And number two 
is to absolutely be the one to be the 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 one the the most important the one the the monopoly guy they are looking to have control over markets they want to maximize profit and they want maximum control two things that they're always striving for well they don't have an inbuilt-in incentive to make this all work for you they don't not if you leave it to their their designs their designs are built around making sure they maximize profits so if your focus is purely on maximizing profits you're not going to put the forethought into resourcing and planning out having enough doctors and stuff ready because it costs money to have nurses and doctors and everyone else on staff before you have a bill passed that would enable all those resources to be used because everyone has access to free healthcare or or whatever shit we would get with medicare for all or whatever Okay. So with that in mind, somebody that doesn't have a profit motive, that's not going to be concerned about investing in all these real resources has to be on the hook to make sure that a bill passed for by we, the people is there to serve. We, the people, that means you got to have a plan for how you're going to staff it. And if you look, do you have enough nurses? And we already know you don't. So how long does it take for someone to go through nursing school? Are you going to have a requirement for them to be more than just a uh, nurse? Are you going to make sure that they're a bachelor of science in nursing? Do they have to have a BSN on top of their RN? You know, you have to look at that. What is it? How much time does it take to get a BSN? Let's just say hypothetically, you're targeting four years of school plus clinicals and all the other things that go in there. So that means you need to be planning your resources for those nurses, a minimum of four years in advance of that service. Or you've got to have a very, very low scale initial rollout of the healthcare plan and then have an incremental way of rolling out additional services as you resource those additional services. I hope this helps just thinking about it, just starting off point right here. I hope that you think about this because a lot of times when you look at bills, all of the idea of planning for these real resources goes out the window. There aren't mandates, and it's an ideological reason. The free hand of the market, letting free enterprise be free to do its thing. These are all ideological discussion points. But if you want to make sure that a program doesn't fail, you must have your resources accounted for. So you look across the US, I mean, we are literally coastal communities. The bulk of our population is either in the east coast in new york city and and throughout the coastal region or it's on the west coast same thing but in between there there's an awful lot of wide open land there's an awful lot of space between house and a and house b and you know obviously as urban sprawl becomes suburban then it becomes country then it becomes the great plains or whatever you have different requirements for where you would place clinics because you can't have everyone going to the hospital for care. They would get overrun. You wouldn't be able to handle if we had a pandemic like what we were going through or just went through. If you have any kind of real serious uh, natural disaster and you need those resources for emergency care, if you're using those facilities simply for general uh, back and forth stuff, you're going to be in real danger of waxing out your real resources. And I'm not just talking about the individuals, I'm talking about the equipment, I'm talking about the rooms. 
I know that you've been to a hospital when it's been at capacity. They can't take anybody in. They got people lined up in the hallways on gurneys or in rooms that aren't meant to be rooms, et cetera. And sometimes you're just turned away. It's going to be 12 hours. It'll be 16 hours before someone can see you. And you're sitting there on a hard wooden or hard chair trying to rest as the waiting room fills up and so forth. So planning this stuff out, designing what this would look like on paper, gathering your requirements for what a healthcare bill should look like. What do we need to address the people's concerns? What do we need to address to address the technology concerns? What do we need to do to address the resource concerns? The financial concerns we already know are not irrelevant at the national level anyway. People trying to do it at the state level, well, good luck. So in any event, you have to lay that plan out. And so hypothetically, let's say you want to do a Green New Deal. Just use Green New Deal for a minute. And we start talking about the need to have alternative fuel. We start talking about the need for all this stuff. Well, how long does it take to mass produce windmills? How long does it take to wire them up and get them into the, into the uh, uh, electric grid? How long does it take to build those things? Like, I'll give you an example. I'm in IT. And so over the pandemic, it took a very, very long time to get network appliances that required semiconductors. And so if you have semiconductors that are holding everything back, those semiconductors, well, that's a real bottleneck, right? That's a real resource that you didn't have accounted for. So when you're trying to roll out information technology in support of a Green New Deal or in support of Medicare for All, whatever, you've got to consider the availability of the real resources that would actually put that into play. So you can't just myopically say, hey, we can afford to give everyone care. Well, yeah, the money's not the issue. In fact, We've already talked about this at length, but Medicare for all, because of the fact that it's so efficient and it is not run based on, you know, a million transactions, ultimately what you've got is a very efficient system that will ultimately be deflationary. You're going to lose a lot of jobs that are there doing things that we don't want them to do, like making it harder to get care, but you're also going to be in a situation where you don't have a good answer for why project or program you're trying to install failed. And this is what happens. The Republicans are waiting. The, the conservative Democrats are waiting. The people that don't want to see public service solutions are waiting for all of these things to fail. They're waiting for them. They know that you didn't plan. They know you hate planning. And they know the minute you try and say, we're going to centrally plan that they're going to drum up red scare and you're going to see all the CCCP things and you're going to have a lot of hammer and sickle stuff out there that still gets a lot of the low information people riled up. But ultimately, you've got to be able to resource each of these things. And that means you need to have a plan. And so if it's about educating doctors and nurses, got to have that set up. That's an, I don't know whether it would be part of your bill for Medicare for all or part of your bill for universal health care, whether that would be a standalone bill for make America ready again or something like that, right? And now all of a sudden the federal government invests huge sums of money to encourage, to incentivize people to become doctors and nurses and phlebotomists and x-ray techs and so forth. But if you don't have that in place, when the bill comes out, you're not going to have those things. And remember, I think a doctor 
takes like eight years to create one out of the factory, so to speak, you know, cranking it up. If you're just looking at the conveyor belt for how we build doctors into our equation, that's it. So I think to myself, in order to have a truly successful approach to planning for big ticket items, you've got to have some sort of a coherent strategy from your elected officials. Well, elected officials turn over. We lose people. We gain people. The people that are in there are rarely serving our needs so that we know this already. That's a given. But let's just say hypothetically that our Congress wasn't a bunch of freaking bought off scumbags. They would need to know that we're going to, our overarching plan, the framework for a Green New Deal, which made so many low information people get all hot and bothered behind the collar. They couldn't understand what a, what a framework was. They couldn't understand what scaffolding was. Like, oh, that's just a bunch of whatever. Tulsi's off act was better. Shut up. Anyway, so the idea here would be that you would need to know this. So I would probably say, let's create a bill that generates the real resources. We're going to incentivize healthcare and, and put a bill out there that would go ahead and start providing subsidies for those individuals. Well, simultaneously, if I'm looking at two Gantt charts, Gantt being how you measure projects like tasks and stuff with bars across the timeline, if you were to look at resourcing the doctor, let's say that's an eight-year thing. So you got to start back here, and then at this point, you'll start having your first doctors ready to go. But you might have people that are midway through a, um, a, a bachelor's degree and that are planning to become doctors. And so those individuals, we would incentivize to go and we would do whatever we could to get them into play quicker. So we would build the resource, make, make us resourced again or something like that, right? Once we get that done behind the scenes, now we say, okay, we needed 500 per state, 500 new doctors, 500, you know, thousand nurses, whatever it is, make some categorical, you know, decisions based on expected usage, expect you do the research, do the hard work up front to evaluate how much you need, how many of those real resources you need. And then start asking yourself, do we have to build, do we have to AD? Thank you so much. I'm just going to put this up on the screen because I like when that stuff happens. Thank you so much. But when you think about actually preparing for this stuff, you can see it could take 10 years to be ready for a bill because we haven't been planning for this, right? We have not been planning for this. And if you look around the U.S. right now, chances are we don't have enough people. We may have to actually ask people from outside the U.S. who are trained in the medical field to come in. We may be begging immigrants to come in because of a talent pool misfire because we don't have enough. And we may have to do that. You see how this works? Now, in a Green New Deal, one of the big things was that we were talking about it being a framework, okay? Because there's all these series of policies that have to be put together to really make that difference. Oh, we're just going to do a carbon tax and be done with it. That's good enough. No, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I like this. Jeff Ginter, welcome to the show, sir. I'm so glad you came on board here, bud. But yeah, but you got to plan for that. You got to look at that and realize how are we going to get those hospitals? If we got them and they're closed and we can reopen them, good. What will it take to retrofit them to be 
right for the 20, you know, what, 2022 or whatever standards we set for those going forward. We need to make sure that those things are also retrofitted to be modernized to support whatever, whatever sustainable practices we're planning on doing. So now you've got another bill called the, the Hospital Renovation Act of 2022 or something like that. So we've got Bill A, which is getting folks trained to be doctors, nurses, whatever. In this case, we've got hospitals, whatever. But in a Green New Deal, look at the same thing. I told you about windmills. I talked to you about other forms of renewable energy, whatever that might be. How long, do, what is the lead time it would take to build one, one wind, windmill? One. And then do it 100 times over again. Now how many? right? Wind energy. How many of these things do we have to build? These turbines, how many of them do we have to build? How quickly can we turn them around? Do we have the land where we can build these wind farms? Do we have all the necessities, okay, that we need? Now, if you think about this, the government taxes to do a number of things. It creates buyers and sellers of goods, but it also taxes to enforce its ability to provision itself. If you're putting a federal project out there like Medicare for All or a Green New Deal, right? The government, by definition, is trying to provision itself. And so, in order to do these things, we might have way too many people in the fire sector, way too many people selling insurance, way too many people doing stock trades, way too many brokers and stuff like that, and hedge funds. So, we may do something that makes it so that hedge funds take a hit so that we can dislodge those real resources, those individuals that labor from that fire sector and bring them over to this new energy sector or to this new infrastructure sector or to this new uh, planning sector, whatever it is that we're, we're trying to de uh, develop. And so that might involve a series of tax hits on the fire sector to dislodge those jobs. It might be to incentivize those individuals to, for a career change. Like think about coal workers being incentivized in a just transition to ultimately become new sustainable uh, wind farmers or whatever the hell, whatever the hell that would look like, right? So I want you to understand that you've got a series of steps that you've got to do to make those things happen. And yes, it was required to plan. Now, guess what would happen? Just uh, this is a slight detour, but I want you all to hear me right now. If they had to plan for these real resources, number one, they would have to a sit there in meetings and they probably wouldn't be open to the public at first because they would have to go through and determine what they need then they would have to meet with a lot of the heads of industry to make sure that those individuals are willing to participate and make sure that we can develop those real resources to explain those plans so that we can build transition plans which nobody talks about either those transition plans have to be baked in there as well and so all this develops a lead time on your map and you need to know when you need those resources, et cetera. But in particular, if you're looking at the Green New Deal, for example, knowing that we're gonna be displacing so many workers, can those people be retrained and redeployed uh, in the new economy, in the new Green New Deal economy? I imagine those petroleum workers that are laid off have skills that would transition to sustainable production. I don't know what that is. That's not my area of expertise, but I am somebody that can evaluate resource requirements and I can evaluate requirements in general 
and evaluate designs and systems and flows, you name it. And that's what's required to really make these kinds of decisions. So, you know, I look back at one of the major things which happened with the Green New Deal versus the OFF Act. Tulsi Gabbard had this one thing, and it was very specific. It was about getting off fossil fuels. Now, don't get me wrong. That's great. But there's a lot more to this than just that. And so much of what each of these bills requires is understanding what are the inputs and the outputs of what you're building, the new thing, because you've got to connect to that thing over there and you've got to connect to that thing over there so that your flow stays not an island isolated from everything, but connected as part of the fabric of society. So that means interfaces for IT systems, interfaces for uh, generating power and distributing power, whatever that looks like. All of these things are very, very important aspects of planning for a bill. And, and I swear on my life, I know that we're not the ones designing it as voters typically, but you can see in the alternative media space, you can see in regular media space, no one talks about this. No one talks about this. But you know for a fact that the Republicans, whether you want to hear about Dem Republican, doesn't matter. The point is the opposition to public spending will most likely be in a Republican body. And with that in mind, they're going to point because they're custom, they're accustomed to believing government spending is going to destroy the world. And so when you don't have your shit prepared, you create a self-fulfilling prophecy where they can say, see, didn't work. You hear a lot of people say they want small, effective government. Well, what does that even mean? I want government that is the right size to deal with what's going on. That's what I want. I want government that is the right size to deal with what we need. It, we need to be able to manage and regulate the situation. So we've got to have a regulatory body set up to regulate whatever new thing we're doing. If it's the Green New Deal, how do we know where we've been successful or not? Well, you're going to have to have metrics, and metrics don't include GDP, for God's sake. GDP is not the metric we would want to test that for. We would be looking at pollution. We'd be looking, so we would need to have a regulatory body or beef up the regulatory body that exists and actually give them teeth and give them funding and give them a mandate to do the right thing. So that's government for and by the people, right? But if you aren't doing that and if you're just sort of forgetting about it, this will fail too. All of these initiatives that we come out there with, these people act tepid and fearful, but in reality, they know that if they under-resource each of these things, if they under-resource them, they will fail and they can point to the, the complete fecklessness of the shitty government, right? Government bad, government bad. Well, government isn't bad. It's bad the way it's being done right now. And it's being done this way. Like, for example, let's look at what Joe Biden did, right? One of the things that we're watching is that we see the gas prices going through the roof. Now, mind you, the stuff that's going in Ukraine is not helping that any, but Saudi Arabia and Russia are jacking the price up. Is there some shortage? No, it's not a shortage issue at all. It's an issue of they know they can do it, and so they are doing it, so they're gouging right now. They've jacked prices up for fuel through the roof. But Biden and the, the U.S. government has made the commitment to fracking based on the idea that this would subsidize and allow us to have enough energy in the U.S. to deal with this. But yet our 
petroleum groups are out there selling our fracking gas as an export. They're selling it around the world. It's not being used in the U.S. Now, is that some God-breathed thing that we can't change that? No. But what it is is an ideological thing because the free hand. Remember, Biden is a true neoliberal. And Biden has got the laissez-faire hands-off approach. The industry will handle it. Let me give him a good talking to you. Remember Hillary Clinton? I'll give him a good talking to. Well, that is an ideological thing. As a leftist, I, I would want absolute great control. I would want to see 100% accountability. I would want to see us making sure that those folks are not getting over. I would want to have a regulatory body there strong enough with enough teeth and enough distance and enough independence from the industry leaders that it can control and operate that. Well, how do you do that? Even that requires resource planning. Because eventually you start running out of skilled work. I mean, when I say skilled, I mean things that are professional level that you've been trained on. You had to go through a lot of education to learn. It requires more than just knowing how to push a button. It requires a new way of thinking, those kinds of jobs, right, that are specialty skills. Without having people trained for those, too, it's a real challenge. Most activists, like, let's just put it in the activist world for a minute. Most activists have no idea how to do a march. You know, they, they get together and everybody spends 12 hours on a phone call trying to figure out how to do a march. In reality, we've done thousands of marches, millions of marches probably, hundreds of thousands anyway. And in those kinds of protests and stuff like that, I guarantee you somebody knows, let's get the permits, let's get the porta potties, let's get the EMS out there, let's book the route through the state police or the park police, let's go ahead and ensure that we've got escorts, let's make sure that we have the designated people in place, let's make sure we have uh, whatever it is we need, water, uh, you know, fans, power, whatever. And you lay that out and you figure out, do I have enough real resource? Do I have enough? How much money is this going to cost me? Right? So we should not have to constantly be reinventing the wheel either. A lot of these things, you build it once, you do all the hard planning and thinking, and you have a way of getting things done now. You can forklift that way of getting things done, build once, use a million times. See? This is about resource allocation, about making sure the real resources aren't wasting their time. If a person has 40 hours a week to give, but they're spending 35 of them in unproductive meetings, they really only have five hours of work. Now, if you lay out your plan and you look at what five hours of work is going to get you, it ain't going to be much, and it's going to be pushed way off. And then you're going to give the opposition a chance to say, see, told you'd fail, told you'd fail. So planning is very key. There's a saying in the project management world, failure to plan is planning to fail. Well, I'm going to transport that over to the government sector and say that if our government is not actively planning its resource allocations before it starts talking about a bill, if, if, if the plan and the transition plan and all the other aspects of the plan are not identified at some level to ensure that you can do those secondary projects that get the real resources trained and ready in time for when you're going to launch, you're screwed. 
You've got to know all the dependencies for other things that are out there. And that is going to require additional resources. But all of these things create jobs. Some of them kill jobs. Some of them create new jobs. But ultimately, this is why in a modern monetary theory economy, we would look to have a federal job guarantee because I would rather pull from a bunch of people that are already working instead of having a bunch of people that are unemployed that have maybe lost the hygiene of waking up at 7.30 in the morning, maybe have lost the hygiene of coming to work ready to, you know, to do something that have been on the bench too long and they've lost some of those skills and it takes a long time to get them ramped back up. The federal job guarantee is a great way to have a buffer stock of invested labor capital for the U.S. government, which is, if it's done the right way, we the people, not the government, not the man, not rich corporations, but we the people. Okay. So I want you to think about this because even something as simple as student debt, free college for all. Let's just say hypothetically that instead of everybody going to a classroom, that we move that ball and we say we're going to do free virtual college for all because we don't want to go out there and dig up the ground, get a bunch of smoke going, get pollute the air. Let's just say we want to enhance online education. And if you're willing to go to school online, blah, 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 it's free up to PhD. No problem. Free up to PhD. Sign me up every day of the week. So if you've got that kind of thing there, you've made a decision. The only thing this is going to really require is maybe additional servers, maybe a server farm, uh, maybe some sort of a redundancy. But wait a minute. Everybody doesn't have access to the internet, do they? So how are we going to get everybody to have access, equal access to equal free education if they don't have internet? So now we've got to look at another project or another program. We've got to resource access to the internet. We got to make it a public utility. Wouldn't that be grand? But if you make it a public utility, well, now you got another resource thing. Now you got to make sure you've got enough IP address spaces. You've got to maybe make sure that you've got enough bandwidth. You've got enough hubs around head ends, whatever, that you can allow people to work from home to do their school remotely. You see what I'm saying? Like each of these inputs, outputs, tools, techniques requires an understanding of the resource constraint at each step. And I assure you, most people have no interest whatsoever in doing this planning. And thank God at some level, because over there, that's what they're being paid to do. But I want you to think about this because this is kind of revolutionary in its own right. Real progressives, we're a nonprofit. We get very, very minimal donations, sadly. Folks, if you can help us, we really need it. We need monthly donors. We need one-time donors. We need people that are willing to volunteer and help us build these things. Roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, and help us resource our initiatives. Funds, people, equipment, services, all the above. But you think about that, right? When you're bringing volunteers into an organization, unless you're paying them, you're getting the best available. Not like you can go out there and pick the best of the best of the best, sir. You've got to take what's available. And most likely, your real resources in a volunteer organization are not going to be trained to do these things. So your vision always ends up having to be super small or you get caught up in egos and other crazy things. 
But Real Progressives, for example, is trying to operate within a Scrum framework. Scrum is a way of handling complex problems in a more democratic fashion where self-organizing teams work in short bursts called sprints, and they come up with incremental progress on their projects. So if you're doing a program through a nonprofit, this is the kind of stuff you would have to do. You evaluate your real resources. You evaluate your, your scope. You evaluate what you need. And this is where it's a build-by decision. Do I have the real resources to build it in-house, or do I need to outsource it? I, this is stuff that you don't want to talk about because it's not revolutionary, but this is what the enemy is doing, folks. The enemy, capital, is doing the stuff that I can tell you how to do, that I'm telling you how to do, that I'm talking about right now. And they got people in spades, man. They got a bench of high caliber, super skilled specialists and project managers and policy wonks and grant writers and all these other things. That's the enemy. The enemy is kicking our ass. You have to be ready to train up volunteers and know that tomorrow morning they may get a case of the ass and go, hey, I'm out. Or, hey, I think I'm better than you, Steve. I'm going to start my own exact same thing you're doing and split the resources even worse, right? So this is what happens in this movement. A lot of lack of planning, a lot of butthurt, and a whole lot of resource screwing up. But this is also the same thing that happens in government. And what's worse is that we haggle and fight over conspiracies about this stuff when in reality, so much of this is piss poor planning. So much of this is if we don't strike while the iron's hot, we're not getting this bill in. Who cares if we have the resources? We'll worry about that later. And then it fails. And then the opposition's saying, see, you didn't do it right. Does any of this stuff make sense to you all? I mean, like, I hope that what I'm talking about here is triggering some thoughts, triggering some questions, triggering some, some connected dots. I want you guys to see, see all the way these things lock together and work together hand in hand. Because if you were to run for office, if you were running for office in your local community and you wanted to do some major projects and you had limited funds, and you had limited ability to do these things, you would want to think about how do I resource this project? Not just money-wise, but how do I physically resource this project? And it may not seem like a big deal to you until you find out you don't have enough gas in the car and you don't have enough money to buy more gas. So now your car is stuck on the side of the road. Failure to plan, whatever. Situational awareness, miss, you bet. Well, in planning a, a freaking uh, major policy prescription, you've got to not only plan for the green field, blue sky, but you've got to plan for what happens if something breaks. So that means you need to do risk assessment at each step along the way. Every time there's a connecting point, there's a, there's a connector there. There's a potential for a break. What do you do if this breaks? Is that a risk you're willing to accept? You need to mitigate it. Do you need to have a backup plan? All of this plays into the costing. All of this plays into how you would roll this out. And a rollout strategy might be incremental. It might have to be incremental, not because we don't have the money, because we do have the money. We know we have the money at the federal level, but not necessarily at the state or municipal level. 
now you've got to think in terms of how do I make enough progress that I can keep showing success and more building blocks, more building blocks, and more building blocks. I really believe from the bottom of my heart that one of the most important aspects of us taking our power back from the oligarchy, from capital, is us being able to work together in parallel aside from that system, using the same tools and techniques that the enemy is using against us and actually executing with great precision. Is that a tall order? Hell yes, it is. Hell yes. You got to make people that otherwise don't give a shit, don't think about planning. You got to make them suddenly care about planning. And then not only do you got to make them care about planning, but you got to get them to buy into the flow, the system. If they don't do that, you waste hours and hours and hours of meeting time talking to people till you're blue in the face about projects and initiatives and a way of getting things done that they just don't give a fuck about. They don't care. And they're not going to care. And they're not going to do the reading. And they're not going to learn the stuff. So you've got to understand in small teams, small communities, larger communities, whatever, that if you've got the money to pay for talent, pay for it because you need people that can execute. But sometimes it's good enough to have people that just have a heart and a passion for the thing you're trying to do. And maybe they're willing to lean in and learn and not be sitting on the side waiting for you to do all the work because that's a resource constraint. You're one person. You only got 24 hours in a day. You may be good, but you ain't that good. And you see this across every time you see a general strike, you got this big thing. Everybody's this grand gesture, a grand set of panel discussions. And then it stops. Just like the centrist, you know, identity politics bullshit with the pussy hats. They descended upon DC in massive numbers. And they left with their selfies and their hats, but nothing changed. They all felt good. They all got to go for their rock concert there. That's not planning. And that's definitely not goals. And, you know, there's nothing coming out of that. It was completely vapid and vacuous. So remember, when you're going through a bill, when you're looking at a plan, Start asking different questions. Start asking how we're going to resource that bill. Do we have the real resources? And if we don't, find out why. That's where the real conspiracy is happening. That's where the real conspiracy is happening. Yes, I like what Shane is saying. I hate to say this, but yes, I'm in full agreement with this. <laughs> you know, as a guy that has created two nonprofits, let me tell you my experience has been that I want to build these structures so that we have ability to fight back so we're not stuck suckling into whatever the Democratic Party says or so we're not stuck in whatever a third party says or whatever. We can build systems outside of the party structure to position us to really do amazing things. But again, you got to have a plan. you got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. And I don't care if it feels good. This is, this is the hardest thing for a project manager. I get a lot of, 
and I shouldn't say this because my where I work, it's irrelevant. But I've I've worked in places where executives had really great plans or at least ideas. They had goals that they wanted to achieve, but they didn't have the necessary stuff to do it. And so when it would fail, it was like, hey, it's not good enough to want something. Just because you want it doesn't make it the right thing to do. Just because you want to win, you want to you want to feel good doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. There's an evaluation process that you must enter into. You must enter into that relationship with planning. And you've got to take your desires. Like there's times where I'll evaluate products and there'll be like five different vendors we bring through the door. And you establish what your criteria is for what you're looking for. And just because you know Sally Sue at the top of company A or Billy Bob and company B doesn't mean that their product is the right one for your organization. And it's the same with building policy. Just because you've got friends that have this urge to do something doesn't mean that that is the right thing to do. Sometimes it requires thinking and planning and realizing, oh shit, the funding ain't right with this. The resourcing ain't right for this. The ability to scale isn't right for this. So I want you to think about that as you reevaluate your next candidates too, as you watch who you're voting for, see if they got a clue about planning. If you ask them, how are you going to resource that? How do you think we could resource that? And they look at you with a freaking saucer eyes. <laughs> they ain't your tribe, man. They ain't your gal. They ain't your guy. If people just go, well, I just like this. We got to do something. They ain't your guy. That ain't who you vote for, man. We don't have time for that kind of non-plan plan. We don't. We can't afford their lack of planning. We can't afford it. And we can't afford their devotion to friends over what works and what doesn't work. That's what's really challenging here in business. Trust me. A lot of times there's that desire to please your friend who is a sales guy and comes in and you're like, no, you got to evaluate things for what they are and make sure that they fit the need and make sure they're achievable and demonstrate that and realize the risks. God, when you see people that make you out to be an asshole because you're calling out the risks and issues, that's good project management, friends. If you didn't do risks and issues, you're getting fired. And it should be that way in activist communities too, that we not fire people, but we should be like, guys, I appreciate you've got an emotional pull for this, but it isn't successful. It's not okay. And maybe they have a different resource plan that they can show you how to do it. But they need to be open to seeing risks, issues, viability. Can we do this? And if at the end of the day, the risk doesn't meet the reward, you must kill the project this is basic stuff but it's not basic if you're not used to it and our movement needs to get used to this we keep allowing politicians to come in there and say whatever tickles our eardrums they don't understand how money works and they don't understand how resourcing works and they'll say whatever they want to say and if you still believe in electoral politics, if you still believe you can vote your way to the revolution, more power to you, but you need to hold those reps accountable while you're campaigning with them. Don't just, oh, I love you. No, 
you must do the sniff check, man. You must smell that sucker. And if it stinks, it's probably not the right move. But then again, maybe it's just not the wrong move. Maybe you just need to tweak it a little bit. That's why you got to think. You can't go with your emotions. You must, this, this apparatus right here has got to be fully engaged. This is a thinking man's war, thinking woman's war, thinking person's war. And that's why I'm here to tell you, remember, real resources, real resources are the, oh, wow, I see something in here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to put this up here. I like this. I like this. I like this. Jen, thank you. So I want to show you all something here real quick because I'm very proud of it. Um, ultimately, I want you all to understand that my goal here and what I'm doing here is to get us thinking about MMT in a much more practical way. MMT always talks about it's never the finance. It's always the resource. Can we resource it? And if we can't resource it, then we've got a problem. If you go to the state level, it gets even more challenging. If you go to the municipal level, it gets even more challenging. So with that, Steve Grumman with the Rogue Scholar, Saturday, tomorrow, I've got Yeva Narcissian, who is a freaking rock star, okay? And I've got a clip here I'm going to show you guys. Hopefully, you all enjoy this. Our focus on finance has led to the scarcity where, for instance, if we had invested in renewable energy, when we were dealing with the oil price hikes in the 1970s, we would not be talking about OPEC today. And we're still talking about OPEC. It's 2022. I was listening to Jason Furman on the Ezra Klein show, and he was saying, well, we could have still done the stimulus, but maybe if we hadn't done it so quickly, it would take longer for the unemployment rate to go back down, but then we wouldn't have as much inflation. Because right now, his argument is that the inflation is because of too much demand and so on. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that extra percentage point or two of unemployment is actual people. All right, so this is Saturday morning, folks. That is Macron Cheese Podcast. If you've never heard it, I assure you it's worth your time. You will be smarter at the end of each episode. And with that, I am gone. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives. 